Welcome back to the Gear Garage, the show dedicated to all the rad gear on the trails and the roads. I'm your host, Cody Jett, and in this episode, I bring on guest Jonathan Levitz. You probably know Jonathan from the Long Run Podcast, one of my favorite podcasts. This episode, we dive deep into all the awesome gear that he's been testing, some of the projects he's been working on, as well as some projects coming up on the, uh, the pipeline. We had a blast this episode, so I definitely think you're going to enjoy this. And if you do, share it with a friend and drop a review below. Now sit back, relax, and let's talk about some rag gear. Today, I'm super excited to invite the host of the podcast for the Long Run Podcast and just all-around fantastic guy, Jonathan Levitz, to the show. Jonathan, how you doing? Cody, I'm good. Um, we were just talking that I my back seized up yesterday and I couldn't run, so I'm I'm taking two days off of running, but besides for that, doing doing good. Oh, that's good. I like to hear that. You know, I mean, you've been a busy man. So I think that maybe the body's telling you, you need a, a couple days rest. I mean, you just took on a huge project, the sub five uh, minute miler, right? Yeah, dude, we're in Leadville before that, or just recently. And before that, you're at Western States. I mean, you are a man everywhere right now. But I do feel, definitely want to jump on the five minute miler first. That documentary you dropped, and if you haven't seen it yet, go watch it. It is freaking awesome. Gave me chills. Made me want to go after the five miler, uh, five minute miler as well. How did that day go? What shoe were you wearing? Just let the people know what happened. Yeah. So the day went interestingly. Um, I was wearing the Puma Fast Forward, um, which is a very aggressive um, track or speed shoe. Uh, so it's got a it's got a pretty rigid plate and uh it looks like the toe box is chopped off so you're literally like i don't know if we're doing video here or not but um you're you're pretty like 45 degree angle from toes being flat on the ground and foot being up in the air um how did the race go uh, we went out really hot uh the first lap was 69 seconds it should have been 78 and that was 69 for the 409 because it was a waterfall start. So um, a little bit more than the full lap. Uh, it was really fast. I wasn't looking at my watch. I was just following the pacer whose watch hadn't started. <laughs> uh, he still nailed a 459. Um, just a, a bit of an unconventional way to get there. So I, I followed him for the first lap and a half. And I was like, this is really, really hard. Like, why is it this hard? <laughs> um, and I was like pretty cooked by 800 in. Um, and the third lap was probably the most discomfort I've ever been in potentially. And it's so weird because like I've run 10 marathons. I've done three ultras. I did rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon. Took, you know, almost 13 hours to go 42 miles with 11,000 feet of gain. And this was the most pain I've ever been in. And it only took like three minutes to get there. And it's so we ran out of altitude. Sarah Vaughn told me that the the burning starts earlier at altitude. And for me, the burning hit like within the first lap. I was expecting like two and a half in to start feeling that burn. And it was just like maybe it's because we went out fast or whatever, but everything was burning immediately. And so it was really interesting because. So my podcast for the long run sponsored the race and specifically, well, we sponsored the pro race and contributed cash to that prize, but we also had our own mile. So it was the, for the long run, for the short run <laughs> mile, um, in the quest of breaking five. So we had five or six people in that heat. Um, and a bunch of my friends were there, my coach and his wife, David and Megan, and their son, Leo, they were all there. So I had like 30 friends at this race. And here I was like at risk of being last in my own <laughs> concoction. And so the third lap comes around and I'm like, oh, my God, just don't make it embarrassing. <laughs> so so I turned up the dial on the last on the last lap and just absolutely emptied the tank. And I've had so few experiences that I've dug that deep. The last time I dug that deep was marathon when I broke three. And the last three miles of that were like 
similar like scraping the bottom of the well type thing but the pain was not as acute and pronounced across a marathon as it is <laughs> in a five minute endeavor so i ran 522 i collapsed at the at the end of the of the race and my watch said it triggered an accident alert and tried <laughs> to like call my dad <laughs> because i went from 14 miles an hour to zero yeah. Um, immediately like that. Yeah. And so like in a normal scenario, like that's a, you're on a bike and then you get hit by a car and then you go from 14 to zero. And so that's what I thought happened. And so I was like, I had crossed the line. I was laying on the ground. My girlfriend, Kate was like right over me. I was like, what the hell is going on in my watch? Oh my God. Stop, stop, stop. Um, so then the next week I ran a mile in Boston. My friend McKenna paced me. Uh, she was on a bike. And we ran on the Boston Marathon course um, in that big sweeping section. It's like mile 18 or 18 into 19 um, through Newton, basically to um, City Hall. And I ran five flat, like 500.9 with a left turn just before the Johnny Kelly Hill, where I ducked under a bunch of trees and it wasn't a great place to kick. So um, it was really cool to put forth a block yep. like that with that kind of speed um because i haven't run that fast consistently since 2014 when i trained for a 5k and that was eight years ago and so in a minute <laughs> yeah it's been a minute and when i started so when i started doing this training i did about six weeks of like proper training for the mile after being in at western states and running broken arrow um, at first, so normally with David, I do effort-based, um, workouts, but for yeah. this one, it was, it was pace-based. So like I, I had to hit a pace, so I had to get comfortable running that pace. So we started out with some intervals, like normal 10 K work on Tuesdays, um, down to five K work. And then Thursdays would be six or eight by 30 seconds at mile pace. And so the first six by 30 second at mile pace was sprinting, like very much so sprinting. And it was super cool over that next month period that it went from a sprint to just just below a sprint. But like even in the week leading up to it, I did I did mile work and it still felt like almost sprinting. Yeah. Um, it's just so fast. It is. And I don't know how you do that. Like, I, I honestly do. Like I, we talked offline and everything that I remember when you did that and we both joked because I did a 5k recently and I just broke 19 minutes, which I thought I would never do, which was, I got through that finish line similar to you. My wife was joking. Cause she was like, it looked like you were just going to pass out or throw up on the sideline. There was no <laughs> smile. There was no cheer. You stopped your watch. And she was like, I wasn't sure what to do next. So, I mean, going that shorter distance and going hard hurts so bad. I did totally. a 50K up in Cayuga, and I finished that smiling, giving high fives. This one, I just wanted to go find a corner and just lay down. Um, so taking on the five-minute miler, that's, a, like I said, coming from more distance, your marathons. I mean, that's a whole different other training. And not only that, but the weight training you have to do for that. I mean, did you add anything uh, besides running and the sprints? Did you add anything to build up the legs as well for this or just? Yeah, I was doing um, dead deadlifts um, and uh, a bunch of like speed legs from um, the swap routine as well. Uh, so like fi a five minute routine with body weight and kettlebells and that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I've been doing that pretty consistently for the last couple of years. But the... Um, the high end work was interesting. And so I'm used to running like 60 miles a week in marathon training or ultra training. And so with this, I was doing like 50 miles a week, 45, 50 miles a week and two workouts plus a long run. The long run was 12 miles. So normally I'm like 14, 16. So it was interesting because every time I was up for a workout, my legs would be fresh and then they'd be wrecked. And then they'd be fresh and then they'd be wrecked. So it was this like I was doing 
two and a half, three effort, hard efforts a week. So I was often doing uh, like 20 minutes at threshold in those 12 milers. So like 12 miles in 90 minutes with uh, 20 minutes hard in the middle. Um, it was pretty interesting and I, I improved a lot and I improved quickly. Um, so there's a lesson in there. I think that like the, the super high volume isn't necessary. And maybe like if you're listening to this and you're looking at, you know, you don't have a coach, maybe think about doing something like that in the off season and, you know, lower, much lower volume, but work on that turnover in a time when you can afford the, um, that cycle of fresh legs, trash legs, fresh legs, trash legs, where like the work doesn't need to be as high, the the intensity, the volume doesn't need to be as high, but you're still hitting, you know, a six by two minutes on Tuesday and, and eight by 30 seconds on Thursday. And, and Saturday is, um, you know, 10, 12 miles with 20 minutes at, at tempo that, that kind of, um, structure is pretty low risk well i don't know that mile effort is low risk but um lower risk than you know these big heroic efforts that you know we often see people doing yeah i mean honestly i spend some uh, winter time doing that so winter times here in pennsylvania pretty snowy so sometimes i'll do treadmill runs and i spend most this uh, last winter i spent a lot of time on speed work my turnover, getting used to faster paces, which is something I, I I have the ability, but I haven't really pushed the limits. So this winter really focused on strength training, that speed work. And I came out of the this past season, you know, I did a 50K, paced the buddy at 100 mile or now 5K, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like I came out of the gate with fresh legs. I felt fast because I wasn't putting so much wear and tear right. on my legs. So by the time I did get to my training for my 50K, like I was good to go and I felt fast and put spots on an ultra where you can let it rip. I was able to let it rip. So I definitely think there is something to that when you can bring the volume down, add in some of those speed works and just really focus on form and pace, things like that. I mean, it is huge. Now, a question for you, because you are one of the swap uh, team members. When you called David or Megan, whoever is your specific coach, and you said, hey, guys, I want to go for a sub five or five minute mile. Like, what did they say to you? Like, I, cause David is one of the nicest guys. Same with Megan, but I gotta imagine they were like, what? Um, let, let me see if I can find, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I put it in. Um, it wasn't in the log initially. We talked about it in person. Um, yeah, it was over the phone and we were having a call and I was like, what do you think about attempting to break five at the end of July? <laughs> and this was like, this was like mid, mid June or early June. And he, he like paused for a second. He did some thinking. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We can do that. That sounds fun. Um, and so he wouldn't have said yes if he didn't think I could do it. And cause he said, he said, like when I was living in Boston, I wanted to do the 50K at Broken Arrow. He's like, why don't we pick something that you can realistically train for? I couldn't realistically train for a 50K and have it go decent um, while living in Boston, at least something like Broken Arrow. Um, so I I knew that when he said that it was possible, that it was possible, even though I didn't really feel like it was. And so we did this film project with Puma around the race. And originally we, it was going to be all about breaking five in the mile. And what we quickly realized is that it's pretty, you know, um, out of reality or, or not a realistic goal for a lot of people. So it's not super relatable. Um, and so we pivoted to the conversation around why do we do hard things? And when I ran rim to rim to rim, my initial, um, thought was to run rim to rim and so when my buddy tony who ended up producing this video was asking us to fill out in our in this google doc of what we were going to do whether the rim to rim or rim to rim to rim i was like well i'm pretty sure i could do rim to rim today but i don't think i could do rim to rim to rim today so i'm gonna do i'm gonna do that 
and train for that. And so this felt very similar to that in that on the day I absolutely, on the day I commit to it, I could not have run sub five. Um, I still haven't formally run sub five, but I ran 500, um, with a finish in traffic. Um, and Dave was like, yeah, that's better than 459 anyway. So for all <laughs> intents and purposes, like I've run, I've run five. Um, and in that pursuit of the five minute mile, it, it became, like I had a lot of these conversations around why do we do hard things? And in that video, we spoke with Sarah Vaughn, Jenny Simpson, and um, a local runner named Flannery Davis Love. And Flannery is a psychotherapist and uh, and a guy named Trent Mack, who has a very funny story. Watch the video. Um, Flannery is a psychotherapist who's run 100 miles a couple of times. Her husband's a big uh, ultra runner as well. And we had a fascinating conversation around like, what is the point of all of this and why do we do it? And right. So my podcast is about exploring the why and understanding how, like what happens when things get hard. How do we learn from people who have done performed, you know, excellently very well. Um, and what can we learn from that? And so it evolved into this discussion around like, okay, we're running four laps around a, a track as hard as we possibly can. It's incredibly painful. What's the point? <laughs> right? Yeah. Also, like when I'm doing that third lap and I'm like, oh my God, I've overdrawn. I could have walked off the track and survived, right? Nobody was like chasing me. I wasn't being hunted. Yeah. Um it was purely optional. Yep. So here we were doing this thing, super optional, super discomforting, super uncomfortable, and we finished it. And so then I think back to what Courtney DeWalter said after um, her last 100-mile finish, which depending on when you record this might be um, – it might be UTMB, might be – you know. <laughs> Western States, et cetera. Who knows what, what that last um, hundred mile or is hard rock. Um, she said, the more time you spend in the pain cave, the bigger it gets. So my interpretation of that is the more you do hard things, the more you can do hard things. And that's the truth. That's the reality in, in life, but also in running, but also in life. Right. So I, I, I apply that same learning to what I do for work and how I, you know, host my podcast and discussions in relationships and with family and friends and like going into conversations equipped to be uncomfortable. Right. So like the week after I did um, that race, I had some uncomfortable conversations with a variety of people and I felt like I was pretty prepared. I was like, embracing the discomfort instead of shying away from it and to me i've been someone in the past in relationships and work the workplace who has avoided conflict and confrontation i'm a people pleaser i want everyone to be happy all the time um and so to put myself in the arena so to speak of getting uncomfortable and practicing that like very acutely over a five-minute period or 55k or whatever um enables you to show up in a better way and place in every aspect of life and to me that's the that's the point like that's that's how we take this silly endeavor and make it like really meaningful in addition to sharing it with friends and family and that kind of stuff i agree with that absolutely i was on uh i did a rambling runner podcast and he asked me about my 50k i was it was so hard I had a blast. And he's like, how is that even possible? And and it's kind of that. Your pain cave just expanded. It was hard. I'm not even going to kid it. There was times where I probably used some choice words out on the trails. But I got through it and I had a blast. And I'm not like, oh, I'm never doing ultra again. It is one of those things that it is. You keep stretching that pain cave. And then afterwards, you're like, that wasn't as bad as I thought, you know, in that moment. So now really? I do have a question for you. You wore the Puma for the on the track. But I think you were a Hoka on the roads. Am I correct with that? The Rocket X2? Yep. 
Now, obviously, you have two different factors here. You're up in Boston, so sea level, and you tried a whole brand new shoe, the Rocket X2. Do you think it was the sea level? Do you think it was um, the no, not much pressure because you're not really with anybody. You're with one person. You think it's the shoe? What was it, do you think? So sea level, there's seven seconds right there. Um, the the reason I didn't – so the, the fast forward is the – fastest shoe i own i posted a shoe review of that shoe and that was the caption or the title um the reason i didn't wear that one was because whatever i warmed up in is what i was racing in racing running in and um the rocket is comfortable at eight minute pace and it's also comfortable at five minute pace the fast forward is not intended for um easy effort and you got to be leaning forward in order for that shoe to, to feel good. Um, so that's, that's why I chose that. I think the, the rocket, that rocket that you're holding there. Um, I mean, outside of the Nike alpha fly, which is better than every shoe out there. Like that is the best <laughs> and nothing is close. Um, that shoe is my my next favorite. And I like Hoka. I like the people at Hoka. I like the people that they support. Um, and I also really like the Nike 4%. And that rocket feels the closest to the 4%. The Alpha Fly is um, like feels different in that it doesn't really feel like a shoe. It feels like a, like a platform with rocket boosters on it. Um, and I've gone through two two of those shoes. I didn't have a um, fresh pair that I could have worn. Um, but yeah, I've had a couple of pairs of the Rockets as well. And um, I really like that shoe. Yeah, I love this shoe. I actually did this for my 5K. And the reason why I like this one for specific races versus the Alpha Fly is if you have the corner a lot, this feels better on my ankles. Totally. Wider base. And my recent 5K was a lot of turns. You know what I mean? And I know because I wore the Faber fly for a marathon. And I remember the one turn, I was like, whoa, my ankle kind of was like, what are we doing? We don't like turns here. So that's why, you know, for me personally, like, especially being on a track, doing those turns, I feel like this would be perfect for that, even, you know, that stability and everything like that. So especially since that Puma shoe looks like a heel to me and I have bad ankles and I could just foresee me being like, Cody, no, you know, I'm out of the game. So after one, yeah, I totally agree. However, it's, it was so aggressively fast that I was like, I'm, I have to use this shoe. I wish I did it. I wish I wore that shoe again um, in Boston on a straightaway um be interesting it would be interesting however yeah i felt that on the track that was that was the best option you know and one of the things because you know we did talk about maybe i want to go after the five minute miler now i don't think i could do it on a track i just mentally i don't think i could do it but if you give me a straightaway even if it's an out and back i think i could do it on a, a road not a track. I think there's a 0% chance I get it on a track. Um, on a road, I think I potentially could. And I think there's something to that because I don't have a track background by any means. And most of the training I do is either on the trails or on just like straightaway roads kind of deal. And the the thought of getting on a track in front of people just seems like getting in front of an audience naked pretty much for me. Totally. So I also don't have a track background. I started running when I was 23 um so after the race fortunately david was there and so he was like let's do it again let's do it again uh he was so fired up um and he's like find find a road a little bit of downhill in boston find a road with a little bit of downhill and let's let's let it rip and i was like oh by the way i'm going to boston in in like five days he's like even better um the problem with boston is that most of the roads that had a bit of a downhill were like too steep so he was envisioning like a 50 foot drop over a mile and there were options for like a hundred feet or more which is like too aggressive for a downhill mile because it just eats up your quads but i was like why don't we do this on the track again and so what he said about doing it on a track a second time is that would be going into the well a little bit like 
drawing overdrawing a little bit more because the mental effort involved in the track versus the road for someone who runs the way I do, um, meaning no track background and like I really love roads and trails. The the I guess challenge of doing it on a track would would be unnecessarily high. Um, that being said, there was a there uh, Heartbreak Hill running running club hosted a mile on a track the day after I flew out of Boston. So I was actually pretty bummed that that didn't line up perfectly. Uh, it was like almost, almost there um, because it would have been really fun to do it in a yep. big atmosphere like that with pacers and whatnot. But um, yeah, my friend McKenna and I, uh, jumped on a bike and, you know, played some Taylor Swift and uh, we, we cruised. I mean, if shake it off doesn't get you going for one miler, I don't know what will, you know, or <laughs> I mean, either one is one of those ones me and my wife will listen to with our daughters and it definitely gets the house pumping. So, um, so is the rim to rim, rim to rim to rim the next challenge for you? No. So I'm, that, I did that in 2019. My next challenge is uh, a 55 K in September yeah. in Crested Butte. So the low point is 8,800 feet um and only goes up from there so i mean are you going to do any elevation work because i know when you were in leadville you were like you couldn't like you were having some issues you had a headache and things like that you definitely don't want to be running yeah so i spent i spend a decent amount of time so i live at five thousand feet i get up to you know i can get up to eight thousand feet in a half hour um to start a run and i perform fine at altitude um, I generally don't have a challenge with that. Um, I know my blood work is great thanks to Inside Tracker. Um, so it's not like a physiological limiter for me. The challenge with with Leadville, it's so high at 10,000 feet. Like we were sleeping at 10.2. Um, and sometimes it just kicks your ass, right? I, I go there four or five times a year and and sometimes it's fine from with sleep. And sometimes it's not, and you never really know what you're going to get. It was just so dry there. And um, yeah, I don't know. I was like waking up every 45 minutes for three days straight. It was pretty brutal. Um, but Crested Butte, we'll go out Thursday to Carbondale first, which is, I don't know, a thousand feet higher than Boulder. Um, and then Crested Butte sits at like 8,000 feet or something like that. And that shouldn't be a problem. Um but yeah, like I, I do a good amount of training that gets me above 10,000 feet. Um, I'll do a loop called High Lonesome Loop, which puts me above 11,000 feet um, on the Continental Divide. So that's pretty awesome. It's like a 40-minute drive from Boulder um, for that 15-mile loop. And I'll probably do that as part of my longest long run, which will be uh, early September. Um, but yeah, not not terribly concerned about the altitude i'm more concerned about like getting in enough vert prior so i'm gonna um, run a bunch of mount sanitas and green mountain and those kinds of things where it's like you can get a couple thousand feet four thousand feet in like 12 15 miles um just to just to get the climbing legs back now have you put any thoughts on what shoe you might want to rock for this race so the Puma Seasons is a pretty good um, trail shoe. I've been liking that a lot. I also fell in love with the Speed Goat, um, Hoka Speed Goat. That shoe is awesome. You just have the shoe rack right there, huh? I got um, all over the place, man. Yeah. Um, or the Tectons. Oh, Do you have okay. those right next to you as well? I don't have the Tectons right next to me. I got the Mafates next to me, but not the Tectons. Nice. The Mafates? I, I call that the grippiest shoe I own. Um, you can straight up run on ice in that shoe and stay upright. It's wonderful. I imagine the speed goat is similar, but um, yeah, it'll be one of those three, depending on, I have to do a little more research on the terrain. If it's, if it's going to be super verty, I won't go with the tecton and I'd go with a non-plated trail shoe. If it looks like there's a decent runnable, decently runnable amount, I would go with the Tecton, but still it's going to be 34 miles. So I don't know how much like overall running I'll be doing. Um, You'd be surprised. Yeah, probably. If, you know, if you, uh, there are sections where you can take off and run. You right. Know? 
I mean, so I'll be honest with you. I know you really like the goat. I like the goat. I just don't know if I love the goat. I think uh, the next version that I've seen looks freaking awesome. I think this foam got a little outdated. And I think the profile Profly Plus that they put in the Mafate is just such a huge upgrade for me. Not a bad yeah. Not a bad shoe. It's just Hoka kind of forgot about this one for this 2023 season, in my opinion. I, I like the Mafate for super technical. Um, whereas the Speed Goat is, is good. Uh, yeah, I mean, the lugs. I like big lugs and I cannot lie, but not, not when I'm uh, trying to rip. No, I mean, if you can even see this thing's muddy. When it's muddy out, this is the shoe like I want on my foot. When it's super yep. technical, we have a in Pennsylvania called Eastern States 100. It is gnarly, some of the steepest climbs out there. I wore this out there, and that was perfect for that. But then there's other ones where, like, I know I can let it rip, you know, where, like, I want a little bit of a lighter shoe. I go with that one. So, no, I definitely get that. So, no, that's awesome. I mean, that's in September, you said, that race? Yep. Oh, now, one of the cool things, you know, that you started up, you had the podcast, which was fantastic, but you started – shoe reviews you're jumping in the shoe review world how's that been treating you it's good um so it came about because my girlfriend was like do you think you have more than 40 pairs of shoes in the house i was like uh yeah i do and i counted and i had 42 pairs pairs on that day and by the time i got my first review up i had 45 pairs (laughs) um so yeah i put up about a dozen reviews um i I owe a review for the Brooks Hyperion, the new Brooks launch. Um, I tried the Craft Road and Trail shoe, the the Trail one, and then the Carbon Marathon Racer. I didn't like them. Oh, you didn't like the the Northlight Ultra? Nope. Really? What about yeah. it? I'm curious. Um, it just I felt like I was I was like my foot was in a in a. I don't know. It just like was sunken in, um, you know, like a little rocky. It didn't. It didn't feel. Uh, didn't feel ideal. Interesting. All right. And then the the back of the carbon shoe, what the carbon plated shoe, the marathoner. Yep, there you go. Um, that the back of that is so, was so stiff for me that um, I didn't. I didn't like that. Yeah, I've been, I I rocked the Nordlight Ultra. I really enjoy that one for not technical trails. You know that road to trail. I even used this one at the beach. I thought it was good. I haven't taken this one out yet. I have not, to be honest with you, post fifty or five k, and I haven't really been training anything. Getting the effort to go do a speed workout, I just have not had that uh yep. in me. Uh, so definitely something I know. But I I did rock and walk around with this one, and I don't always love how they do these types of collars other shoes have yeah. tried them, i don't necessarily love it so i'm a little worried about that yeah i've also got a pair of the brooks cascadia i can't wait for the um the new catamounts to come out i feel like we get the same shoes yeah. <laughs> yep you got that right there yeah, the um a nice I lo- the previous version was okay yeah the reason why i like the previous version was because i got the louis gong uh edition and that was freaking sweet he drew he had like a sasquatch that he he drew and the the tree bark and the, uh, yeah i mean the louis gong yeah. was fantastic but i am excited for this one nice another shoe i've been loving on trails is the scarpa spin planet um so i was invited to a, a pr event here in boulder um scarpa is a is a i believe it's italian or definitely yeah. european brand that with roots in climbing and and skiing um and they have a uh, like 15 trail shoes also so their quiver of like um aggressive to transition to road is uh you know a huge gradient um and so i tried this shoe it's like mostly recycled materials which is why they call it the spin planet it's this color blue that i freaking love also and i ran on it in on um Marshall Mesa, which is like both super rocky and runnable um, in different places. And I just like didn't feel the shoe at all. And so I said to their marketing guy, I was like, I love, I didn't feel it at all. I love this. Um, So I've been weaving that into some runs. I ran, I ran in that in Leadville uh, recently as well on like 
smooth buttery single track that also had uh uh some some techie sections um but yeah it's cool to be able to like try all these different shoes and um my whole thing is like i don't know what all the words mean upper and and you know these types of foams and so my my stick with the with the shoe review is minute or less um no jargon and i'll tell you what i like i'll tell you what i don't like and i'll tell you when i use the shoe and what the price is and so it's like yep i love this one it's $160 i use it here um etc cetera, etc cetera. and and it's you know it it's working well and people are motivated to check it out and um yeah i, I think the shoe review thing is interesting because I saw a trail mix article that was like, do we need more shoe reviewers? Probably not. Like talk about the most saturated, <laughs> saturated thing yeah. out there. Yes. And um, no. Yes. And no, because I do think we bring in a new perspective. So um, I do shoe reviews as well. I do that one minute shoe review, which I found folks liked it a little bit better than maybe some of the long content. I did like a uh, analysis because my real life job is data analysis. And people said like, I just skipped to the end. And I was like, oh, why don't I just go to it? And I do the, I don't even do like a, I liked it. I didn't like it. I give it a buy or don't buy. And like, I don't play in the middle. There's really no middle ground for me. It's got to right. like it or I don't like it. Or yeah. I caveat to why I think if you have wide feet, don't buy this, you know what I mean? Kind of deal. So, um, but I, one of the reasons why I got into the shoe review is besides having a lot of shoes and really loving it was I bought a shoe once because a reviewer said they absolutely loved it. And I hated it. And I remember uh, reading them and I was like, well, dude, like I hated it. And he's like, oh, yeah, I didn't really like it either. But, you know, I kind of uh, with the relationship we have with the company, I didn't want to piss them off. So we give them previously bad reviews. And I was like, man, that sucks. <laughs> like, I hate that. And for me personally, I never get compensated. They send me shoes, but that's about it. I don't get paid, like nothing like that. So like, that was one thing for me when I got into it. I was like, I won't take money and I'll be completely honest with you. Even if the company never sends me shoes again, I'd rather have no shoes than telling people uh, to go spend $160 on a shoe. I just, it was okay. You know, totally. so I got into it. I feel similarly, I, um, I've done partnerships with Puma and have taken money from them. And, you know, as part of some of these projects around Boston and the mile, et cetera. Um, and so take what I say about the Puma shoes with a grain of salt, if you must, but I do like them. Um, and everything else has been unpaid. Is that true? Yeah. It's been unpaid. Um, I mean, Hoka sends me tons of shoes and Brooks sends tons of shoes and, um, it's appreciated. And if, if I'm posting a review, it's because I like the shoe. Um, I posted one with, uh, one of the Skechers shoes that they sent me and I was like, yeah, I ran in the shoe and turned it to Meb. Loved it. Um, and now it's like the most popular shoe review I've done yet. I have, haven't actually run in that shoe. Um, but it's, everything's tainted, right? Everything, even you're getting them for free. And if, if, you say bad things about them, like, are they going to continue to send them? And so it's like such a fine line between an honest review and like a truly honest review. And so I hope that um, as more people watch these shoe reviews, we can continue to, you know, remain um, as unbiased as possible. But if I truly like don't like a shoe, you'll either know. Yeah, you'll definitely know. Like... <laughs> those craft yeah. shoes I, I, and it it hurts me because i'm good friends with the or i'm I'm friendly with the the pr people and i love what they're doing and i love the athletes that they support and some people love those shoes i don't yeah exactly um and so yeah on that note you you probably will do a great review for that for that one and i won't yeah no absolutely and i think that's as long as you're staying true to yourself it's uh because there have been shoes where i absolutely politely kind of dogged you know like the shoe just wasn't great i walked back on the trails barefoot and i had people like dming me and be like you're out of your mind what's wrong with you and i'm like i don't know my feet hated the shoe i apologize but you know i said especially now that the shoe prices are so high dude like the cost of a shoe that you know you, you could get a nice shoe for 110 bucks now it's like 160 is the minimum it feels like these days so yeah so 
you know, just try and smash that FTLR code in the coupon box and every website. I'm just kidding. It doesn't work anywhere. Uh -huh. Actually, except Puma. Except for Puma. Yeah, well, it's, it's, I think, for the long run. Okay. There you go. People, go get your Pumas. So I actually <laughs> have some Pumas coming, so I'm excited for that. So nice. I did dog one of their shoes, and they still are sending me stuff. So it was the Nitro, Deviant Nitro 2. You didn't um, like that? Oh, I hated that shoe. Oh, man. It hurt my feet. I love that one. You know what has a plate in it? What's that? It has a plate in it. No, it hurt my feet. I could feel the plate. I did speed huh. workouts, and my foot was in so much pain. It was like wow. one of the only carbon-plated shoes that like really just killed my foot. So I ran in that shoe, and I was like, wow, every time I run in this shoe, I feel really fast and awesome. I wonder why. And then I learned that there was a plate in it. <laughs> You just thought you were getting so much faster. You're like, wow, I'm the man. I was like, whatever they did to this shoe is wonderful. I thought it was just a regular trainer with um with nice foam or something. But um, yeah, that one that one was nice. All right. So I'm gonna ask you. So uh I don't usually ever have shoe reviewers on the uh the pod that much. So favorite shoe of 2023 so far. You only give me one. You can be favorite a road a road and a trail shoe if you prefer. Favorite shoe of 2023 oh man i run in so many shoes in 2023 um okay it's either the rocket okay or again biased but this is the truth it's um puma did this first mile collab with um i really i'm gonna butcher it i don't know what it is the first mile something i kind of want to look it up now but it's this like recycled there's a lot of 20 percent recycled material in the shoe and it it ran like a like the pegasus hmm. um and i loved the the peg 34 and this is the only shoe that's ever felt close to that one um i went through 10 pairs of the the peg 34 uh, that's not a joke. I like when it got to the 35, I was like, I hate this shoe. And I bought like six more. Um, and, and so this shoe felt like that, except what I did was I somehow fucked up the, um, the heel and it was like folded in. And so now it's like remarkably uncomfortable to run in. So I probably only have a hundred miles on the shoe, but I, ne but I almost never choose it because the heel is, is bent in uh, also cause it's in Boston. <laughs> Um, so it's it's kind of far away um but so that and then the the tecton is you know up there with with my favorite trail shoe i definitely like the rockets definitely up there but actually weirdly enough the clifton i never would have guessed the clifton but I, that was one uh -huh. of my favorite to run in so nothing crazy just i need something especially when i'm doing a lot of trail running just a good daily trainer for the roads so nice least favorite shoe least favorite shoe Oof. you just didn't like we're gonna light it up um that it's gotta be the the craft the, the craft oh, the, carbon the, racer oh man the speed one the white one yep all right nothing wrong with that. i'm trying to think if there were any other shoes that, that I, my problem is i like everything <laughs> and so if i don't like my my coworker calls me a, a golden retriever and she's like you're the worst person to interview people because you like everyone. But if you don't like someone, it's a huge red flag. <laughs> That's good to know. I would, my least favorite shoe, and I, I I wanted to love it. So, because I'm only talking about 2023, the Hyperion from Brooks. Oh, I love that shoe. The, not, I like the Hyperion Max. I didn't like the Hyperion. It was too low stack for me. I, did it, I used it building up to my 5K. And every the workout I felt okay. The next day I felt completely trashed. My legs just couldn't were not feeling the lower stack. Sure. It, are you you are you used to doing workouts in carbon shoes now? So that's probably why, because that that shoe doesn't have a plate, but it's just like a fast, low profile shoe. I like that shoe. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, but I did like the Topo Cyclone too, which was a low stack. That one I felt fast and I loved what my legs felt afterwards during it. I don't know. It's just something about the Hyperion. I was so excited for it. And I took it out for one run. I was like, okay, I got to break it in. And then I did a four by 400, like a mile um, um, warm up, four by 400, and then a mile afterwards. And I just like, 
my legs felt so trash. And then I had to do oh. another, I did like a four by 800. And I was like, man, my legs are just dang tired. So I noticed that too, but I think that's because we're so used to running workouts in carbon. No, I'm a baby. I mean, I'm used to the higher stack shoes. So I, I, I caveat that if you love lower stack and you like those good old days of the racer, like uh, that, uh, that shoe might be for you. The Hyperion uh, Tempo is a great shoe too. Yeah, it is. I like the tempo a lot. So, but it's gone. It's gone. Hyperion Tempo, yeah. Oh, what the hell? They replaced it with the Hyperion Max and the Hyperion. Well, they 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 need to leave something in the middle. They, they apparently didn't. So they they were like, "Screw you guys." Um, this is what no, we're doing. I like that shoe. All right, uh, last one. Biggest surprise for you? Yeah. A shoe in that what? You're... In what realm? Oh, just you got it. And you're like. Holy crap! This is amazing. Or holy crap! This really sucked. That Scarpa shoe. I was surprised with how much I loved it. Um, in addition to how good the Puma trail shoe is. Um, literally every time I wear the Puma trail shoe, someone's like, "Is that legit?" One hundred percent. One hundred percent of the time. It's funny because you, uh, all, you know, put the Puma and everything that, and uh, Eric Puma wore it for um, Worlds, and I was like, "Dude, you gotta be honest with me, like." And she's like, dude, the grip actually is Puma grip. It's really good. Because uh, at first I was like, did you really take a Puma shoe? And he's like, no joke. It's an awesome shoe. And I was like, all right, all right. I, I mean, you're you're that quality of runner. I got to trust you if you're saying this shoe's good, you know? So so Hayden Hawks reached out to me. He's like, hey, my buddy Eric LaPuma was wondering if you had any connections in the shoe space. I was like, um, you have to he has to work with Puma with his last name. Oh. So, so I connected them. And so he was testing out some shoes and he's like, man, these are actually really good shoes. And so, yeah, he wore the, he wore that shoe for the, for the hundred K. Um, and hopefully he's got something good cooking with them for next year. Wow. He signed with Terex, man. Oh, wait, what? Eric LaPuma with oh. Eric. They just dropped it. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh man. They, they missed the moment. Puma with La Puma, you know? So, um, Bummer. I know. I think Puma missed out on that one, getting a stud, because I think he's going to have a good CCC. Uh, I'm also biased because I like Eric, so um, I'll admit that, that one. So I'll be honest with the biggest surprise shoe for me, Brooks Ghost Max. This that shoe, is a chunky-looking shoe. I'm telling you, I'm about to chunk right now. It's really nice. You know, give me some stack, and I'm good to go. It's, and it's only a six millimeter drop. This shoe, hands down, my favorite Brooks shoe, 2023. And when do you run in that? What's that? Easy runs, easy daily runs, recovery runs. Um, and also, you know, the daily runs where I'm in the eights feel great in this shoe. This foam, do you do any doubles? Uh, no, I don't do doubles. I'm not that cool. Sorry. I was going to say that that looks like a good double shoe. But I'm telling you, this shoe, this foam, it's DNA Loft version two, which I kind of was not excited for. I was like, oh, really going with that one? Um, but it's awesome. And if you like the uh, Caldera trail shoe from Brooks, I think it's a Caldera, it's pretty much the same shoe. Oh, cool. In my personal opinion, because they, they shouldn't have called it a ghost. They should have changed the name completely. This feels like one of their trail shoes, the, the stack. I even put them together. And I was to my wife, I was like, Emily, what? don't these look alike just different lugs issues like it looks like the same shoe and it really does like it's uh huh. so here, again definitely a shoe huge surprise to me because brooks has been good and i love working with brooks but this one just blew my expectations out of the waters cool so yeah so but yeah so that's definitely the ones and i am i want shoe i'm really looking forward to and i think the world is now that we have the ultra fly out we need a adidas to give us their uh super shoe for the trails is that one coming is utmb week it's that pink shoe tom evans i think it's pink it might be red i'm not 100 percent sure sometimes when you're looking at pictures i'm a little colorblind to that uh it's the one um tom evans rocked at uh states and one. Oh, cool so apparently that one's coming out and i'm excited for that one so sweet i am so but i definitely have uh, taken up a lot of your time i probably could talk a couple more hours about shoes um before i let you go is there anything you want to plug plug your podcast anything like that yeah check out the podcast it's called for the long run um i i'm curious one thing about you where where did your interest in all these shoes come from 
Yeah, so I've always had a, I always loved fashion and style and everything like that. My family used to always make fun of me because of how much I loved the fashion industry in the world. Um, and I got into running during the pandemic and I just really started really enjoying the running shoes. And somebody talked me into doing a making the marathoner kind of series. And I had no idea about IG. I'm making this up as I go. Um, and Adidas actually was the first company reached out and said, Hey, we want to give you a pair of shoes for the making the mar marathoner. Like, and I got that first taste of it. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, this is uh -huh. so cool. And then I just enjoyed uh -huh. videos. And so my other job, I, I work in data and analytics and I'm a manager over there. And I started doing these videos and I found this creativity that I really loved. It really was something I just generally love doing. If I never make money off of this, I'm pure, perfectly fine with it. I just truly love it. I love talking about shoes. I love talking about running. And it actually made my other job a whole lot better because I wasn't trying to force creativity in a job that didn't uh, creativity. I was getting project plans. I was like, guys, we could do something really cool when you didn't uh, really need to do something need to. cool. Uh, so it just opened up a whole other spot in my mind, in my brain. And like I said, I really love talking about shoes. And it originally started with, I ran for the Rad Rabbit group and we were just chatting here and there with people. And I guess, and then the free trial group. And I was like, always putting things on the gear. And then someone was like, you should just do it. Just make a video, just do it. And I made one and it's probably, and I look back at it now and I'm like, man, what was I doing? And then I just kept making another one. But I also realized for me personally, I need to do what works with my time schedule. So one minute shoe reviews, shorter videos, things like that work with my schedule um, so that I can continue to do these without feeling super stressed. So cool. Love it. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, I definitely appreciate you joining the pod um, and definitely, again, can't wait to talk about UTMB and see what other type of uh, drama you start around that race, man. <laughs> okay. Because you went there, oh, what he's talking, what to. he's talking, what he's talking about is the the backlash that UTMB got a month after the announcement that Dacia, uh, an SUV company that is currently focused on uh, promoting electric vehicles in Europe uh, at an affordable cost, got relate from a bunch of athletes who were or were not racing UTMB, including some that got injured and then and then said that they weren't running UTMB. So a little confusing there. But my point was <laughs> that, first of all, trail running is not in a place to not take more money. And having non-endemic sponsors get into the sport is good for everyone, unless it's like Chevron. And they're, they're you know, greenwashing their sports marketing efforts. However, I still think that there is a way that Chevron or Mobile could sponsor races and like figure out a way to like, you know, donate a bunch of money to XYZ and yep. they they would build goodwill, et cetera, et cetera. This is not the case there. This is a, a company that sells SUVs and many of those SUVs are electric vehicles. As I drove into the outward bound uh, um, aid station on dirt in my suv that i purchased so that i could sleep in it at trail races and drive it into mountains with snow i thought about the fact that how smart it is that an suv company is catering to trail runners because if you looked in my trunk it was totally full and i was here there there was driving on dirt off-road with enough ground clearance to do so safely and comfortably and i was like I, I don't understand why people are so up in arms about this, right? Okay, so you have, and now you've got me going. So you, you have people who are getting mad that a, that a sponsor who sells a product that contributes carbon emissions into the world is sponsoring a trail race. And they're trying to connect with people who are perfectly fit for making that purchase. These same people who are up in arms about this sponsorship are flying all over the world to UTMB and and not looking at personal responsibility. By the way, personal responsibility is a tiny percent of what contributes to climate change. If you look at, I was having this conversation with Zoe, she was like, 70 companies contribute 90% of the emissions in the world. So instead of focusing on like the margins, which are our contribution to climate change, we should perhaps go after those companies and refocus the efforts 
and and outrage that we're you know a bunch of keyboard warriors are targeting <laughs> a bunch of athletes like come on no, I'm, I'm gonna take some heat from this but i i firmly believe that that is is a colossal waste of of energy and effort pun intended to go after something like this when there are much bigger fish to fry i don't necessarily disagree with you especially a, a... I think the problem is it's UTMB that did it, and every right. everyone likes to pile on UTMB, yeah. and that's that's easy to do. Easy target, and I'm so like the biggest issue for me is like they're targeting UTMB, and I said this like okay, so if they pull out the contract, that's a lot of money to dissolve a contract. Like UTMB is not going to front that bill. Who's fronting that bill? I mean, if you runners, runners will be. So now you're just hurting these pro runners that. Let's be honest with you. Some of them are making really good money from their their uh, sponsor. Most of them are not. Most of them are not making a lot of money. That's why a lot of them still have actual jobs. You know what I mean? So winning a UTMB, getting that money, while some people go, well, it's only $10,000, $10,000, you know, or would you rather save the world? Like, I don't know, 10000 if you had told me I had to put food on my kid's table, I'm going to choose the food on my kid's table. Like, I hate saying that. I know that sounds, but like, seriously, Tom Evans even said at the, the one podcast, he's like, this is my livelihood. Like, this is how I make my money. This is how I feed my family. Like, like you're not understanding it. Like, and having a sponsor like that could lead to maybe, you know, like you look at the Boston Marathon, winner gets $100,000. What if a UTMB winner got $100,000? That means taking on bigger sponsors than, you know, a Camelback. No offense, Camelback, but you know what I mean? Uh yeah. And, and so my, my pursuit in, so the podcast is not my full-time job. So it gives me, so I don't rely on it for income and yet I'm driving income from the podcast. And so it gives me the ability to try and reach non-endemic brands as sponsors. I've been pushing hard with Audi and Hertz and United airlines in particular, because that trio they are they are very clear they all contribute to to carbon emissions but they are all pushing for electric vehicles and then people are like oh but look at the the um process required to to get the bat the materials for the battery you literally can't win with some some people electric vehicles are cleaner um and there are brands that are promoting a a climate forward approach you look at like what Hertz did with Tom Brady. Tom Brady's rapping Hertz, the greatest athlete of all time. Just kidding. Shout out to Courtney DeWalter, um, greatest football player, uh, greatest quarterback. Anyway, my Boston roots are showing. Um, I'm okay with you saying that because I still have a uh, Brandon Graham stripping the ball from Tom Brady and the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, so it's okay. Totally. Um, I did some business with Kevin Boss. Uh. A couple of years ago and it took everything in me to like not talk about the giants uh and patriots <laughs> anyway um so my point is like what these brands have hundreds of millions of dollars to spend on marketing and they're spending hundreds of millions of dollars on marketing trail runners are the same demographic as golf and tennis and these these high-end sports and there's an opportunity for the brands to see that so mazda has been sponsoring emily abade uh she's been doing some campaigns there i've seen um ford with myrna valerio and Corey waltering and a couple of other athletes i've seen um subaru is doing stuff so it's happening we may as well take advantage of that and and be at the forefront of driving interesting sponsors into the sport, getting more money into the sport. I mean, like I worked with a solar company and and I could talk about this stuff all day. So cut me off if if I need to. But like I worked with a solar company and and drove three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in revenue for them from from an audience who is interested in in environmental and sustainability, sustainable options. And we put solar on, you know, a dozen people's roofs and that's not a lot of people, but that's a lot of money. And they paid me 20 grand on that. Um, and so that enabled me to, to do, um, my podcast for a number of months. 
So, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I'm curious to see if at UTMB there's any type of protest or anything like that. I hope not. Um, it definitely would take away from it. I know a lot. Of, I know people feel strongly about that, and I get it. Save the world. I'm all for it. You know what I mean? But I think there's there's different ways to do it. And uh, like I said, I, I think this is a step in the right direction. I mean, we'll see, though. But I also hope this doesn't scare other well, we don't want that type of publicity. You know what I mean? Nobody wants negative publicity from people. So. That's not negative publicity. That's wonderful publicity for them. Do you know how many people learned about them as a as a sustainable as a as a brand? Period. I had no idea who they were. So when people were up in arms with it, I had to Google it, and I was like, "What is this? Is this like a a clothing brand? Is this like right. a no? A they H&M they are the big like kind they're of the big winners of this outrage. With that. So we'll see. I mean, I still want to see Subaru. I would love to see Courtney Subaru. I think that would totally, be, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, like I said, definitely go check out Jonathan's uh, podcast. It's fantastic. It definitely gives you chills. There are some runs though when I listen to it. Yeah, I wish I had some tissues. So you know, some of the stories get a little too uh, get get the the heartstrings going. So, but definitely appreciate you joining it, and uh, definitely like I said, keep out for the uh, new adventures coming the way. Cool. We'll see you out there.